Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Join us today in a discussion about something that concerns all of us, young people who suffer from mental illness. How can we as parents or teachers or just members of the community help young people get back on track and avoid be, being mar- marginalized? Remember now that ACT has three parts, accept, choose, and take action. Today we're going to learn about how common mental illness is in teenagers and what some of the causes may be, and also how ACT can be used to help young people to go from the hurt that's inevitable in a young person's life to the hope of getting back on track in life. Our guest today is Dr. Louise Hayes from the Origin Youth Research Center at the University of Melbourne in Australia. Louise conducts research into treatments for adolescent mental health and develops resources and books for for workers. She's the author of uh, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life for Teens, uh, which is published by New Harbinger and available from uh, Amazon or other booksellers. You can read more about Louise at her website, which you can find by just clicking her name on this week's program on webtalkradio.net, which also you can also find that book. I welcome you, Louise. Hi, Joanne. It's lovely to be here. Louise, you're in Australia right now, which is about the other side of the the earth from Sweden. <laughs> I think it is about as far away as you could get, Joanne. <laughs> and and I, know, I know you, Louise, from... Um, different places. I know you're a very passionate uh, woman uh, as a clinician and as a researcher, and I'm curious about what, what's got you interested in working with young people? Well, well, Joanne, I didn't really plan on working with young people. Um, it was really uh, when I started doing my clinical training, I was um, terrified, really, of the prospect of working with adults. And I could never imagine myself sitting down doing therapy with a 40-year-old man. <laughs> and, so I, <laughs> and so I thought, well, maybe I'll work with teenagers. I, I kind of like teenagers and I think they'll be easier. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of people laugh when they hear me say that because uh, lots of adults don't think teenagers are easier. So that's kind of how I started, really. So was this a, uh, so it was a feeling of, uh, of being inadequate as a, a, a clinician that got you scared yeah absolutely that's what I was scared about I just thought you know I just can't imagine myself sitting across from an adult male who's having you know marriage problems or something like that and (laughs) (laughs) trying to help him so maybe I'll just work with teenagers where I feel a bit more safe and comfortable I thought that was the I thought that was the easy way out (laughs) so did did you think about your own 
your own teenage years when uh, when you when you started thinking about teenagers? Well, I didn't actually. I really wasn't thinking about my own teenage years, but um, my PhD was on adolescent mental health and parenting of adolescents. Mm -hmm. And um, what I discovered is that spending, I don't know, 15 years or however long it's been working with adolescents that over a period, all that period of time thinking and working with adolescents all the time, it has inevitably um, kind of forced me, I guess, to reflect on my own adolescence and um, touched on issues that I had as a teenager that I perhaps hadn't really thought about. Yeah. What, what issues were you thinking about? Well, um, I uh, didn't have a particularly great teenage years, but I know that after meeting lots of people, many people will say the same thing. But yeah. I left school at 14. I was um, a school refuser, one of those very hard people to try to manage and get back to school. And I was also bullied and had lots of problems at school. Um, and uh, so I guess I've had to reflect on what that means and how that influences me as a clinician. And I discovered that when I work with teenagers that those issues do kind of force me to reflect on what happened to me. Okay. So, so, so Louise, you actually dropped out of school. And, uh, I did. I yeah. Did. Yeah. So it does it, – that, I, I, I bet that that gives you a lot of empathy for um, those type of problems as compared to someone who went right straight through school with no, no problem. Yeah. I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. And um, I also find that working with young people who are dropping out of school is um, quite um, hard um, issues to manage when you find school really hard. So, yeah, I think I do understand them. Although when I talk to my young clients, I know that they can't possibly imagine that I could understand that because I seem so old. <laughs> Louise, we have a lot to cover today, um, and uh, I like hearing about your background. I think it does explain a context of, um, you know, the the passion I feel with you, the the the, the very the competence that you have uh, with young people. What what are the most common problems with uh, young people with mental illness? Well, um, I, um, we have uh, very high rates of depression and anxiety pretty much across the Western world. And depression and anxiety would be the most common things. Um, and statistically, we kind of know that uh, lots of mental health problems start in adolescence um, and they can be carried through to adulthood. Um, and about one in four young people can be experiencing levels of distress that are high enough to get help. So it's pretty high. Um, that, that does sound high. And, and, the, and the, the cost of that must be quite high. Well, I think the cost is the human cost is pretty high in terms of suffering and distress, but I think the cost is also high in terms of schools and parents and how we manage that um, as a society. You know, some of the problems that we have are things like bullying and relationship problems, um, problems of young people not knowing how they fit in or not being able to feel they can change their life or where they're at. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I do think there are big costs. Yeah. Louise, is is this a new phenomena? Ah. <laughs> no. Believe it. Um, it goes right back to uh, early times. You know, we've had people like uh, Socrates and Shakespeare uh, writing about the young people of today in their day, not our day. 
and writing about how they thought young people were lazy or um, inconsiderate or disrespectful. So it's been around as long as our modern society has been around and even ancient society, I guess. Um, but I think that there are some issues that are different today. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those issues today are different because our environment has changed a lot in the last, say, 200 years. Mm-hmm. So in what, in what way has it changed some that influences teenagers? Well, in the last 200 years, I guess, since the Industrial Revolution and now pr- very much in the last 50 years, we have um, young people that are spending a lot of time just with other young people of the same age, which is not a bad thing. But um, in terms of how we've evolved to develop and traditional societies, young people, teenagers, would learn a lot of um, what it means to be a human and how to what it means to be an adult in society. They would learn that from other adult role models, like they'd be around other members of the community and adults in the community and all different ages. And they would also be around elderly people mm-hmm. who might be very close, small communities. And they would also be around small children mm-hmm. and young mm-hmm. Um And to me, most young people spend um, time in schools where there is about an 18-month age gap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most waking hours with people that are around you know, 18 months different in age of them, a very narrow age band. Mm. And parents working, trying to bring the money in and keep the money in. Mm. And also at home, have computers and, you know, all these other competing interests. So I'm not saying it's bad, but I think it's different and that there has been a lot of changes in the last 50 years mm-hmm. that maybe we haven't necessarily caught up with so well. You know, Louise, since you're from Australia, I remember watching some older movies of um, the Aborigines in, in Australia, uh, how they traveled in, in this wonderful collectives of um, children, young children and teenagers and, and the, uh, all the parents in these groups and they would fish and swim. And, and uh, I thought, oh, what a wonderful, I mean, I know it's easy to romanticize and get nostalgic about old times, but it seems like um, such a long way from this very segregated society, especially I think here in Sweden, uh, uh, the complete segregation, not only of different ages, but even people with mental illness or mental retardation or um, different disabilities, uh, that is segregated with experts. Rather, and then it, we become strange for each other. I think many people are are quite fearful of teenagers because they they're not with them enough, uh, and so they become strange creatures. I think many adults are fearful of teenagers and that saddens me a lot that there are lots of perceptions that teenagers are, are something to worry about. I know lots of parents do the same thing and worry about their teenagers. I think that is part of that. We don't all we don't have elderly people through to babies all being together. Not that we want to go back to being living you know in in a tribe, but um some of those things we might have lost in terms of being a teenager and learning what it means to fit in. Mm. and learn adult roles and, and responsibilities. Louise, uh, I know you're, a, you're an ACT therapist and uh, this program is about ACT and I, I wonder if you could tell us the, the main uh, ways that you would approach uh, these special problems with, from an ACT perspective. Okay. Well, the main thing that I... Um, that I think about is when a young person comes to me and they're distressed, you know, they're, when they've been referred to my clinic and they're feeling distressed, what I seem to most um, notice firstly is that they think they're weird. Mm-hmm. 
or that they're crazy or that there is something terribly wrong with them and that the rest of the people are all normal and happy. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the first key things that I often work with them is to help them understand um, how often how normal they really are mm-hmm. but also help them understand that when they have distress that this that this is a is a common part of us that feels distress when things go wrong and that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're weird or they're crazy mm-hmm. but it perhaps means that they need some support and some mm-hmm. help mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like we all do at different times yes yes okay so what what are the those key areas so certainly so beginning to help them see um what it means to have thoughts and feelings is the first key area. How normal it is, what it means to have thoughts and feelings, and how to how to understand how humans work mm-hmm. in terms of feelings. That um, most young people will say, "Well, I just I'm not happy. I, I should be happy, and I want to be happy." So we start there mm-hmm. um, and help them understand those thoughts and feelings, and then um, emotions are a very big, important part of it, or feelings. Teenagers, um, the whole world is new to them and opening up and exploring them. They're discovering the first time when they love someone mm. or get their heart broken mm. or the first time they have sexual feelings towards someone mm. or the first time they really hate their parents and really want to go out and do something all on their own. Yeah. So those feelings can be really intense. Mm. And I think helping them to um, understand how, how, what's normal and what, what that means and how to get help when you feel really distressed, I think, is a really important place to start. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you had uh, you have something called inner strength. What does that mean? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> inner strength is the thing is the word that we use for understanding thoughts and feelings. Okay. So, we, so um, what we're trying to help them do is. Uh, what we call developing inner strength, which is really just focusing on thoughts and the thoughts and feelings part of the ACT model. So in the adult part, we might talk about acceptance and diffusion, whereas in the young, for young people, we talk about developing inner strength. So that's understanding what's, what's normal and what thoughts and feelings are um, and how to manage them when they feel strong. Okay. Louise, could you give me an example of, of that developing inner strength about feelings? If, if I were to uh, play a young person, uh, say that I, I have fallen in love with someone and I um, um, am feeling a lot and I, I send them a, a text message and they don't answer and I get really, really scared. Okay. Are you going to be 16 for me, Joanne? Yeah, I'll be 16. <laughs> Okay, Joanne. So you've sent your boyfriend a text message and he hasn't answered you. Right. And okay. I'm and I get really scared. I mean I think he should answer. He should if he loved me he would answer within fifteen seconds. Okay, okay. When you feel those really strong feelings, can I teach you something that might help you, Joanne, to know what to do? Yeah. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna learn something. The first little part of this skill sounds really easy, but it's a bit tricky and that's called pausing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pausing is a trickiest thing for even adults to do. It's tricky for all of us. And we're going to use a special little um, four little letters that we use that spell the word bold, B-O-L-D. Okay. So we're, for each of those letters, there's going to be something that I'll teach you to do. It takes a bit of practice. So for B, what we want you to do is breathe. This is part of waiting. Okay. So I breathe in a special way. Okay. okay. 
<laughs> so what I want you to do, Joanne, is put your hand on your belly mm-hmm. and just take a slow breath. And um, what I want you to do is allow your hand to rise as you breathe. So you're breathing right into your belly. So take a nice slow breath. Mm-hmm. That's the pause bit. Okay. Now the O stands for observe. So what we'd like you to do is think about naming how you feel, observing how you feel, noticing how you feel in your body is another way to say it, and giving it a name. So if your boyfriend hasn't answered you, you could breathe mm. and then think about how you feel. So can you tell me how you might feel? Nervous. Nervous. Okay. Me too. <laughs> okay. You can say, I feel nervous. That's the observe part. Mm-hmm. I feel nervous. Okay. And then the L part is listening to what you care about. Now, sometimes when you feel nervous, you might respond like automatically. What things might you do sometimes if you're nervous and your boyfriend hasn't replied? Mm-hmm. You might. What things might you do normally if you're nervous and your boyfriend hasn't replied to you on a text message? What I do? What you do? I, 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 I give, send them probably 10 more messages. Okay, okay. And, and, and is that what you would want to do? No. Okay, okay. So that brings us to the next part. The L part in the word bold is listen to what you care about, okay? So what you're saying to me is that sometimes when you get nervous, you might send your boyfriend 10 text messages mm-hmm. and maybe a whole lot of things happen that you don't really want to happen. Yeah. So the part is listening to what you care about here. So what might you care about in this situation? about how you want to be? Well, I, I think uh, I would I think I would want to uh, help myself there. So I um, maybe take a cup of tea and uh, take a break myself and not, and not because I don't want to bug him because it's going to make him just irritated at me. Okay. So what I can hear is that you're saying that you care about him but you also want to care about yourself in this situation too. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would be the listen bit, which is a bit tricky. And then the D part of the bold is decide what you might do. And you already said that. You are going to get a cup oh. of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I like tea. Dance to Joanne. That sounds so, nice. So we teach the four things bold. Um, and help young people practice that in really high emotionally intense situations. I can really hear, Louise, and you um, that you're a very, very good clinician. Yeah, it feels like you're very sensitive to, and and I don't feel like that you would, you know, be making, you know, ridiculing me or making thinking this is a stupid thing to do. You're very, very uh, compassionate. So you help me to be compassionate with myself when you show that compassion. Thank you, Joanne, because I'm getting a bit nervous being on the radio, so thank you. <laughs> I, I like that. I like to, to hear that uh, role play. Louise, I'm sure that uh, we have some parents listening and maybe even uh, uh, teachers, but parents especially get nervous about uh, children or their teenagers that uh, they fear are developing anxiety and depression. Or uh, uh, What advice could you give them? That's a really common um, question, and as a parent of teenagers myself, I also <coughs> I also know how much we worry about our own teenagers and how 
such a culture of fear around us that our teenagers might go wild and we, or they might suffer from depression and we might not know how to help them. So what I, um, what I say to parents is that, and what I know from the research, and this was my PhD was actually in this area of parents and how they might understand their teenagers. And what we know is that the relationship between a parent and a teenager is really important. And even though it might sound like they hate you as a parent and they, they don't agree with anything that you think or anything that you say, the research shows us that your relationship stays really important. And the work that you've done when they're young children building a relationship doesn't go away just when they're teenagers. Your relationship stays to, as one of the most important things to them. Um, but it might look different. So they might still you know, look like they're a bit angry with you or you give them the wrong kind of look and they, you know, snap back at you. So it might not look like they care about you, but the relationship is really important. And what we know from the research is that, is that if you're able to spend a little bit of, um, I guess, quality time might be a good word for it, with your teenagers, that they will often talk to you about things that are really important to you. Mm. So they might not talk about what clothes they want to wear or which boy they like. That might be saved for their friends. But if something serious comes up and you have a good solid foundation, they will, are likely to talk to you about it. Yeah. You know, think, so, go ahead. Because I think the context for how they do that is important. So we need to kind of set the right context. Yeah, what's so that? that uh, well, you know, as a parent, and I've been in this place, my teenagers will listen to this radio show and laugh, Joanne, because they know. <laughs> They know us too well. As a parent, you know, you really want to ask them questions and are you okay and um, tell me if you've got a problem and, you you know, you really want to show them that you care and find out. Um, and that can just be a bit too intense for lots of teenagers. So um, the best way that I say to parents to find out and to connect with your teenager is not directly in that intense way, mm. but in things that are a bit more subtle like, being in the car together and driving together is often a time when you find you can have conversations when they just naturally happen or watching your favourite TV show or, you know, just cooking or doing something that is not confronting, often low eye contact, just being together in the same space. Mm. And if you manage to zip your lip as a parent, <laughs> you might find things actually come out. <laughs> yeah. You know, Louis, sometimes I think, you know, uh, when you, we, we talk about that it can be useful too is for parents to think about uh, function. I know that's a difficult word, but um, when, a, when a teenager uh, shows aggressiveness towards you and says, I hate you, I'm ashamed of you, um, that as, as a parent, it, it to understand some of that, but when a, a teenager says things like that, um, not to take it literally, but and personally, but uh, it's a sign of um, the, uh, the the teenager is feeling anxious or anxiety, and you're a person actually they trust enough to um, to express themselves to, and even and to see beyond beyond that behavior, and that this is a distressed young person that dares to be open with you, and. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Joanna. And the way that I teach function to parents is to use the word purpose uh -huh. and to think about what might be the purpose of their teenager's, you know, angry outburst mm. um, and place it in the situation in which it's happened. And maybe the angry outburst at the parent is really come straight after school and is about school. Yeah. And 
I think you are right. Is sometimes the parents are the people that they can lash out at. <laughs> so it's a compliment. <laughs> sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean you should tolerate, um, uh, you know, abuse or really, really um, aversive situations from your teenager. But we all get irritable with our family members probably more often than we do with anyone. And yeah. teenagers are no exception. Yeah, Louis. Louis. I know that you're. Um, I know that you're interested in values, as I am. Uh, values is a, a, co- a component of acts. Um, what what people care about. I know for teenagers, I, many people think that's very difficult. How do you approach values? Okay, um, I'd love to do values work with um, young people, Joanne, and I know values work is a one of your areas of specialty. Um, and when I first started to do act values work with young people. I think I kind of took the adult approach um, and I made a lot of mistakes and found that lots of adolescents would close down when we started to even have little conversations like what do you care about? Mm. Uh, And so we've started to approach it in a little bit of a different way and I approach it as as a not something that's there. I, I kind of approach it as a way of together when I'm working with a young person, I'm trying to... Um, explore, discover, and create in in our shared space, create what they care about rather than uncover what is already there, you know, what, what you care about, we might ask an adult. So I'm thinking more about how to create a, a, a conversation and a shared exercises that might help them think, oh, I really care about that. That's how, something that I really like. How, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do that with lots of – it's funnily, funnily enough, we do that with lots of different exercises, but the, the, I think of three different areas. I'll, I'll talk to you about an exercise in just a second. So in, in terms of values, I think of three areas for young people, valuing themselves, which I think is really important because that's one of the key tasks of adolescence, deciding who you are and how you'll be. So valuing yourself, valuing your relationships, which we also know is a very key task of adolescence learning how to get along with other people and Mm. how to have romantic relationships and all those things and valuing your place in the world, you know, discovering what career you'll have and and what sort of an adult you want to be as you get there. Mm. So your place in the world, your relationships and yourself. Mm. So, um, So that's the kind of three areas that I think of and I often start with valuing yourself because I think they're facing all of those challenges of who am I and do I fit in and what kind of a person do I want to be and do I want to be a goth or do I want to be an emo or, you know, whatever the, whatever the latest one is. And so how I would do that is um, um, we often play games or we have um, questions that I use, like on cards that I use to explore. And funnily enough, they're often not questions that seem to relate to values. They might be questions like, do you prefer to blend in or stand out in class? Or um, uh, if you could um, change one thing in the world, what would you change? Mm-hmm. So we have a whole range of questions that don't seem to directly say, well, what do you want to be about? Mm-hmm. And we use it as a way of shaping up the conversation so we're shaping them as they go and listening with act ears, as Kelly Wilson would say, mm-hmm. for when we hear the thing in there that they might care about and really tuning into the passion that young people have. You know, they want to change the world. They want to stop bombs. They want adults to not wreck the world that they have. Mm. And there's something beautiful in that, that we like to kind of 
help them be willing to talk about and think about and you hear that passion intensely mm-hmm. uh, where I try to focus on that. That's good. Um, okay, so Val, that's valuing yourself. And how about valuing relationships? Oh, valuing relationships is a tricky one. <laughs> Not sure I know. <laughs> I'm going to do this one myself, Joanne. <laughs> um, we try to teach them a skill, um, some skills in here about uh, mind reading um, and um, really what we're talking about is perspective taking from an act. Um, but mind reading might be easier for some of the listeners to think about. Um, and so teenagers and adults, for that matter, we tend to do a lot of mind reading and thinking that we know what our peers or our friends at school think about. So we t- try to teach them to perspective take by standing in different places, imagining what it's like being themselves, imagining what it's like being their friend and contrasting with how people look on the outside to how they might be feeling on the inside. Mm-hmm. We talk about this inside-outside vision. Mm-hmm. Um, what people look on the outside, like right now, I look. you look really calm and relaxed, <laughs> but how you feel on the inside, Joanne, I might be able to guess, but I might not be able to. Mm-hmm. And in high-conflict situations, teenagers will often imagine that, or high-tense or stressful situations, Teenagers will often imagine, say, that everyone can see that they're a loser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So see this, this, this role that their mind has in, in interpreting other people's behaviour and also understanding how other people feel and how they feel and shifting perspectives from them to you. And it's a tricky thing, a skill that we, I guess we all mm-hmm. find. Okay. Um, so would this, be some, this would be an example of psychological flexibility, uh, where they learn to change perspectives. I, I bet that's a very, very useful thing. Yeah. Relations and then think about, connect that to how you want to be, not how you might behave because you think they all think you're a loser or that you're, mm. you know, mm. are we connected to how do you want to be in that situation? What kind of a friend would you like to be? What makes a friend? Mm. Louise, that sounds wonderful. We are getting to, got to the end of the program, <laughs> Louise. I'm sorry we have to, to end because I, I'm sure we could talk about this for a long time. You're you're such an interesting person to talk to, and I and I'm sure uh, your research is is um, really really important for young people and parents and teachers and community members that need to learn how to deal with this. Uh, thank you. So thank you, Louise, for joining us today. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you for your time. It did seem to go very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Dr. Louise Hayes from the Origin Youth Research Centre at the University of Melbourne in Australia. You can read more about Louise from her website by clicking on today's program on webtalkradio.net. In this program today, we've been emphasising that even though young people may look and act grown up, They're inexperienced um, about feelings and thoughts of the difficulties of living, and they need nurturing. They need to learn to get comfortable with discomfort. So ACT is used here to help young people to develop flexibility around the inevitable changes and difficulties facing today's youth. 
Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.